Okay, story time. After a recent event where I spoke about embracing your true self and you are the only version of you and maybe you're doing better than you think and all of those things, it's one of my absolute favorite messages that I have a chance to give. I will give this to an executive management team, a youth group, a large church congregation, and as the Safeway checkout clerk once learned late at night after making the mistake of asking me what I do for a living, even to one person who I think it turned out truly didn't want to know what I do for a living, but was just being nice. But this came after speaking to a group of single adults over the age of 20. And a guy in his late 20s came up to me. We will call him Ted. And Ted had said he had this aha moment and he wanted to share. And he said it had been sparked by a couple of recent podcast episodes. So Ted thought, and I think this story probably resonates with a lot of people. Ted always thought he would be married by now. And he would again, late 20s. Ted always thought he would be married by now, but he told me he had been so caught up in the fear of dating the wrong girl, worried that it might lead to marrying the wrong person, that he hardly dated at all. And he was living in this constant fear of making a mistake. And he was always trying to follow this script that he thought was meant for him, but then the script would continually change. And he said, then let me tell you about my career. So Ted's an engineer, again, has nothing to do with a, a train as I thought as, a, as I was a kid. And then there's his career. Ted's an engineer, nothing to do with the train, he said. He reminded me after hearing me talk about that on, on a podcast. I always thought that was the thing. Then there's his career. Ted is an engineer, not the railroad kind. And he said it was a path that he chose following his parents' advice. And he said it was a solid job. He made good money, so he should be happy, right? But he said deep down, he had this passion for reading and writing. And he said he had confided in, in me about this dream of going back to school to become a high school English teacher. And he said that he had brought it up with his parents a few times, but they were far more practical. They, he said they wanted him to, but they were all about the more practical path, saying that he needed to worry more about making money and the potential to provide for his family in the future, et cetera, et cetera. And he said they never really asked questions, were curious or heard what he wanted. And Ted told me how he used to wonder if something was absolutely wrong with him because he wasn't obsessed with making a lot of money. And he explained how much reading and writing had meant to him and how he wanted to share that with young people these days and how he wanted to share that with young people to help them find the same joy and escape that he found in books and stories. So when he heard this episode and then he was there at this talk and hearing about being the only version of himself and learning to be okay with that, he said it struck a chord. And so he said he, he thanked me and he felt like he had just received permission to just be himself. But then he admitted that he's still really wrestling with this idea. Is it really okay to just be okay? Don't I need to do something incredible or don't I need to be extraordinary and really stand out and make something with my life? That was one of the mantras he said he felt like he got from his dad all the time. And so I told Ted, I don't want to talk about it. So I told Ted, and I really want to tell all of you that it is absolutely more than okay to pursue what genuinely makes you happy, even if it may seem ordinary. And we hear this, it's not just a cliche, but being true to yourself is perhaps the most incredible thing you can do because in that authenticity, you are going to find a very unique kind of success and fulfillment and purpose that I promise you no high paying job or societal expectation can match. So thank you, Ted, for sharing your story. It is a very powerful reminder that our worth is not defined by our job title, our marital status, the size of our paycheck, but it is truly the courage to live a life that is yours. 
and I want to break all the cliched myths and rumors. So today, we're going to spend some time talking a little bit more about who you really are and what does that even mean? And yes, it sounds so cliched, but how do you truly find out who you are and why on earth does that seem to upset many of those around you if and when you do start down your own path of becoming? And I want to spend a little bit of time on the why do we compare? Why is it so hard to be happy? That and so much more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Welcome to episode 404 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And just subscribe to the newsletter. We are on a roll. Go to TonyOverbay.com or go to the Linktree link in the show notes. And please sign up for the newsletter. We're getting a lot of information out there about new courses and podcasts. And the updated magnetic marriage course is so, and that's with a lot of O's at the end, close. And if you do TikTok, go follow me at Virtual Couch. I did one of my first live Q&As there on Sunday night with my daughter, Sid, and it was so fun. It was a blast. There were a lot of people that uh, stopped by, asked questions, gave their little hearts and likes and all those kind of things. And if this today's podcast goes out on time, it should be Thursday, December 7th, and we're planning on going live tonight as well. And you can even send in your questions at contact at TonyOverbay.com ahead of time, and I'll answer them there as well. And I'm putting together a really detailed episode about faith journeys, faith crisis, all things faith, the origin story of what is wrong with me. If we started off with a, there is a right way and a wrong way, then as a kid, there's a whole lot of feeling like I get it wrong. And that's just a little sneak preview, but there's going to be a lot in that episode. And I've been working on it for quite a while. So I would love it if you have particular questions that you would like answered about navigating a faith journey parenting in a mixed faith marriage, anything like that, please feel free to email me through the website, the contact form there at tonyoverbay.com or email me directly at contact at tonyoverbay.com. And I would also love to hear any stories or experiences and uh, that I can share on the show. So today I really do want to talk about something that I think is pretty cool and that is being just fine with being okay. Because I feel like so often It seems like everybody's racing to be the very best, the smartest or the richest or the coolest. But really, what if I told you that it is absolutely and truly all right to be just you, regular, normal you. And those words, regular and normal, for some reason, have such a a negative connotation for so many people. But think about it, though, those small things that you do every day, whether it's helping somebody out or getting a few things done. But it's learning more about who you are. What do you like to read? What do you like to do? Being curious about things in your life or somebody being curious about your experiences, they all start to add up. And that's really where the shift in your life starts to come from. That's the real stuff that life's made of. I talk about your implicit memory or the interior landscape of your mind so often, and it is built upon the slow residue of these lived experiences. So, In this episode, I really want to celebrate the everyday, the normal, and we're going to see why being ordinary, and if that just brought up some negative emotions, I want you to just kind of sit with that a minute, because we're going to talk about operating from this place of okay is actually a place where you can really grow from. And so it's not just some backup plan, but it's something that's pretty uh, pretty amazing, and it is a place to, to take pride in. 
And then there's this thing also about thinking that we have to have all the answers. Like we are this director in our own life's movie and we already have all the scenes mapped out. We've got the music. We've even got it all the way down to the final credits. And then when things go wrong, then we suddenly think, okay, I, I should have been able to stop that. or I should have known that. Or I have got to fix this thing myself. And sometimes I almost want to look at that as uh, it's overconfidence. Some even call it some type of arrogance, but it's like this comfy blanket that makes us feel in charge. It's like we feel like if we are in control or in charge, then everything is going to go okay. Everything's going to make sense. But here's the, the twist. Life is full of all kinds of surprises and we can't control everything. And that can feel scary. Absolutely. But once we get that, once we understand that, oh, that happened, and it isn't a, why didn't I realize that? Or why did I do that? It's really, that happened. I did that. There's that acceptance. It can really be like a huge weight lifts off of your shoulders because suddenly it's okay that you can't predict or fix everything. Because accepting that life is more like the emotional roller coaster, it really can be freeing because now instead of, I can't believe that happened, it's like, okay, that happened. There we go. Of course it did. And, and it really does help you operate from more of a place of now what do we do versus I can't believe it. Why did that happen? I should have known. I need to ruminate. Is there something wrong with me? Did I do something bad? Is God mad at me? Is this the universe getting back with me? Boy, what uh, in my mind, what a waste of emotional calories and time. And here's the thing. Maybe it's the old man in me. I just turned 54. But every minute, every second starts to, to be a, a realization that man, I want to be, I want to live. I want to have connection. I want to have purpose. I want to connect with the things and people that really matter. And when you start to do that, you start to recognize that then it is okay to learn to just be able to see what happens in life. And then what do I make of that? So let's start there and talk about why it's okay to not have all the answers and how that can really start to make us happier. I really believe that most people are so caught up in not liking themselves or trying to figure why things have happened to them that they don't really have time to think of much else. So if you are someone that goes around worrying about what other people are thinking, which I know we all do, and one of, uh, I think, the top things that said in a therapist's office is, I know I shouldn't care what other people think. Let me start by normalizing that, but we do, and I understand that, but that's where I just want to say, Let's just start operating from here and I want you to trust me or I want to give you permission to think that most people are so caught up in themselves, not liking themselves, that they really don't have time to think of you. But then when you interact with them, when you come into contact with them, now all of a sudden you are another human being for them to interact with and now they can give their opinion. So either they can give you their opinion feeling like that gives them a sense of purpose, I can tell you what to do or think, or if they're a little bit more on the emotionally immature side, Oh, I'll give you an opinion, but I'll make sure that it's something that will make you question what your reality is to make me feel better about mine. It's that hierarchical thinking, or maybe I'll jump into that one up position and then you're going to leave thinking, wow, why did, is that, is there truth in that? Why did he say that to me? And really we just interacted. And so instead of that being a, okay, that wasn't a very productive interaction. Now we get to ruminate and beat ourselves up because remember deep down inside, we're all inherently selfish and that is not necessarily a negative thing. But understanding what that means to you is incredibly important because eventually you need to stop looking at other people and try to figure out who you are because eventually you need to stop looking to other people to figure out who you are and you actually get to be the one to figure out who you are or what you need to be doing. You get to start doing and being because that is the way that you start to understand who you are because if you don't know you, 
then there's absolutely no way that I or anybody else can truly get to know you. And then therefore, that person can't love you. Because if you're still trying to figure out who you are, then we're both in this odd just back and forth of, well, what do you think about me? Or should I do this? Or is that the right thing to say or do? But when you know yourself, when you love yourself, you are showing up as a person that is saying, hey, jump on board, choose me, I'm choosing you. And now let's go on uh, life's adventure because stuff's going to happen. And it's a whole lot more fun when we got another person to interact with. So if what you need is permission to just go do and be, then then I, I give you permission. It has been granted. And if you are not watching this on the YouTube video, I did a very fancy thing with my hand. So that means it's very, very much official. You now get to figure out who you want to be, who you are. And this concept, it helps so much because it will help you start to look at every interaction that you have as a way to get to know you, a differentiation, anybody. So are you in situations where people continually tell you who they think you are and then you have to defend yourself? Or are you around people who are very curious about you, who acknowledge that you exist? Hey, Tony, there he is. Uh, Are you around people who actively participate in conversations with you? Or do you continually compete with their phones or their other tasks? Or do you find yourself feeling like just another checkbox on somebody's list? Or are they actively choosing to be in a relationship with you? And are you choosing to be in the relationship for them? If they aren't, it can still be data for you if you're starting off from, in essence, this home base of you are okay. This is your journey. And when it becomes your journey, then by simply being you, you are doing something special because the better and more you figure yourself out, then the more time you can spend being present, not worrying what other people think about you or what will happen if you don't get everything done that you think you need to do or else what? Or else there might be some things that aren't done. And the more people do what they're doing, the more their brains think that this is what we do, then eventually your life becomes about whatever it is. That sounds so hippie. I know it does. But if you're continually trying to prove yourself, you'll never be truly happy. If you're consumed by this endless to-do list, then you are trying far too hard to have control. And it's not like you get to the end of that task list and you are finished, done. You know, you're in essence training your brain that this is what we do. We continually look for what to do. I need to do. What do I do next to try and feel better versus who am I and how can I connect with others in order to live a more intentional, purpose-filled life? Now, personally, I don't necessarily think you get any VIP treatment if your side of the bed remained perfectly clean when you get to the pearly gates. And yes, my side of the bed is pretty much a mess, so I'll give you that one. But perhaps I am projecting, but I hope that you can see where I'm going with this, that as you learn to embrace the journey of life, your life, the people in your life can play incredible key roles, but perhaps more as advisors, not as the CEOs of your life. You actually get to be the CEO as well as the marketing director, the hype guy. Personally, I'm going to hire out for the CFO, the chief financial officer, but that's a me thing. So let's now spend a few minutes on why we want to know right now. I need to know. I need to know, is this the right way to go? Is this the right thing to do? And that's why I turn and I ask everybody else. It's part of that desire we have for certainty, to know why we crave certainty so bad. Because in the context of what we're talking about, here's the challenge. I think that one of the main reasons that we are continually asking other people to tell us what to do or who do they think we are or what don't they like about us so that we can change it is because we're still tied to this idea that other people have the answers to your story. And I get it because we come wired that way from childhood to need somebody else to survive until we don't. 
And there's the switch that needs to flip to go from codependent and enmeshed to interdependent and differentiated. And it is a process. And part of that process is to start acting on things that matter to you, even if somebody else isn't so keen on what you're doing. I wanted to be a therapist. There were not other therapists in my family ever, ever. So that seemed nutty to leave a 10-year career in software to do this. But holy cow, I am so grateful to have followed that path. I spoke with somebody earlier this week who is the first doctor ever in their family and is a very large family. And they dealt with plenty of the, oh, you uh, you think you can do that or you think you're better than me? Almost to the point where they said that they believed the other people's opinions of them. Over on the Waking Up the Narcissism podcast earlier this week, I did an episode about apologies and I talked about even why it can be difficult to apologize. And I dusted off one of my very favorite concepts, the old, as soon as you exit the womb, you are often running with serious abandonment and attachment needs that lead us to care deeply about what everybody else thinks about us. This is absolutely something that, that helps me, but I hope it helps you too. I want to share that information here as well. So you're getting it on all sides. So file this into the, I didn't know that, but now I do. And if you are next thinking, I don't understand. I don't get why he's so pumped about this. Please go back and listen again until it, the, the message has been received because it will help you create a much richer tapestry of lived experience in your mind. Meaning that even just hearing this information that we're going to talk about next is part of what will help you become uh, you. Because, oh, I'm aware of, of this desire of why I want so desperately to have other people like me. So again, this is coming from a context of why it is so difficult for some people to say that they are sorry. But then I jump in here and I say, okay, this is something that I believe strongly comes from our family of origin. Because when I like to talk about our abandonment and our attachment issues that literally began from the time we exit the womb... If we are made to feel less than safe early in our lives, then our greatest fear is that we would be abandoned, even to the point where we will opt for anger or control or shame or you name it, rather than at times own up to our own actions. Because unfortunately, we were told or modeled or shown that people who go against or across those who matter to us, that they can be cut off. Whether we saw our parent or our parents talk bad about their friends or take a victim stance, always claim to be better than And then as we grew up as kids, we might hear, you know, don't you ever lie to me. And if you do, you get the belt or you get disapproval or anger or you get your privileges removed. And it isn't really necessarily done with kindness or gentleness. So that can really set the stage for I do not want to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong. I have to be right because if I'm wrong, here's that abandonment. And even when it's trying to figure out who am I, I don't want to get it wrong when the reality is there really isn't a wrong answer if you can just start doing and being. So why is it so difficult to be happy? And let's go down the evolutionary biological path. Imagine being an early human hunter-gatherer where survival depended on finding food and water and shelter and reproduction. But above all, you had to stay alive. That was the priority. This is where that brain is a don't get killed device comes from. So our primitive minds, they did not evolve to tell jokes and, and feel big feelings. They really were there to keep us safe in a real dangerous world. And then the better our ancestors became at spotting and avoiding threats, then the longer they lived and the more offspring they had. So then you fast forward to today, and now our modern minds are still wired to assess everything that we encounter. Is it good or bad? Is it safe or dangerous? Is it harmful or helpful? But now our threats have evolved from saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths to everyday worries like job security, rejection, health concerns. Am I fitting in? Am I doing okay? Is this really who I am? What if I get it wrong? So as a result, we tend to worry about things that sometimes rarely ever come to pass. So now 
In comes the fear of rejection and abandonment. So belonging to a group, and this is really key, was so crucial for our early human survival. Because if your group or if your clan gives you the boot, you become prey. So our minds then evolved to protect us from rejection by constantly comparing us to others in the group. Am I fitting in? Am I doing the right thing? Am I good enough? And so we still feel this need to fit in and then we still fear rejection today. And we're constantly worrying about whether people like us. Again, we can head down that path now of, or am I doing the right thing? Is this what I should be doing? And so I need to make sure with everybody else because maybe that will help me stay in this group mentality. And our minds, this is what's wild too, is they're so advanced that now we get to even create an idealized image of who we want to be, uh, six-pack abs, so driving amazing car, great house overlooking the beach, that then we compare ourselves even to the fantasy of ourselves. And so then we end up feeling pretty inadequate because we are setting the stage so that we'll never quite measure up, even just to ourselves. And so that leads to this pursuit of more and better And that's part of what we feel like we have to figure out who we are so that we can stay in the group, be better than, get more, get better. Because in the Stone Age, success meant getting more and getting better, better weapons, more food, larger stores of things, and more children for survival. Today, we chase money and jobs and status and a better body and more love. But then even if we achieve some of these things, we often find ourselves wanting more because you get to that point where you have the six pack abs or you have the million dollars or you have whatever. And then it's like, huh, thought I would, thought everything would be fine now or life would be all figured out. But there's always something else because that isn't what it's about because that's something that's external. It's not on the inside. And then our brains are, are wired to focus on what we lack, to criticize ourselves and to imagine all the worst case scenarios. And that makes it so difficult for us to find lasting happiness and why we, in essence, turn to other people to tell us what to do, because I really also think there's a, there's, I want to say secret or low key version of, I need to hand that decision over to somebody else, because then if it doesn't work, then I can say, man, I trusted them. But really, we need to just trust ourselves. And over time, it really doesn't seem as scary. We're wired, I think, even to care and to need, even to our detriment. So now enter the book on being certain. And I know I've referred to this in the past. It's by Robert Burton. But uh, this book, along with Buddha's Brain and some others, I really think they lay out in a, I'll say, non-scary way, some concepts that might seem scary until they aren't. Because our brain is trying its best to help us. But that doesn't mean that it's the best way to help. And so part of that entire human condition is this paradoxical nature of what can actually help us. It's like the concept of where if you want to alleviate symptoms of anxiety, accept them so that then you're not trying to avoid everything that would cause you anxiety. You're accepting, oh, I'll have it, but also go do and be and have these amazing experiences. Because then I'm not trying to live my life in a way that will avoid being anxious, but I'm living my life in a purpose-filled way and then anxiety doesn't become as big of the, the issue. It's there and it pops up from time to time, but it isn't ruling my life. It's more of a passenger. And if you want to turn away from an unhealthy coping mechanism, for example, it's accepting that you're human and you're not a horrible person if you are turning to said coping mechanism. You're getting rid of the shame. You're trying your best. And now you have new tools. And if you want to get unstuck in life in general, then learn why your brain does what it does and think it. Uh, Give it and yourself grace and then let go of the need to impress and continually seek validation from others. So this book on being certain 
it's all about why we feel so sure about things, even when we might be wrong. And again, I, I see my, I feel myself even wanting to make this not so scary that sometimes we think we're wrong, but we are sometimes we think we're right. But what if we're not? But it's, I think we've all had experiences where you just feel so certain about something, whether it's the answer on a test or where you left something or I didn't, I did not touch that thing. But then it turns out that you were mistaken. And rather than going, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible person. It's, huh, I felt certainty. That's fascinating because I'm actually looking for certainty on everything else in my life. But here I felt certain about something and turns out it wasn't even certain. So Robert Burton, who's a neurologist, says that that feeling of being certain about things isn't always about having all the facts or being right. He and other neurologists have identified the, the areas of the brain where sh- that shows it's more like a feeling that occurs in our brains. And he explains that our brains work almost in these mysterious ways. You know, we're still at the forefront of neuroscience, but our brain can work in these ways that make us feel sure about our ideas and decisions, even when we don't have all the evidence or even if the evidence says we're wrong. And what I really like about the book is it does, it's a mix of science and psychology, how our minds work, and even some philosophy, talking about some of the bigger questions of life, all those things. But he uses examples, a lot of examples from his own life and his career. And I'm not just trying to do a Tony's book review, but it shows how our brains try to convince us that we're right, even when we're not. And he has the example of the memories around the space shuttle disaster. And there's several others that even these flashbulb memories that people think, oh, I will never forget that except for when you do. But here's the thing, though, on being certain isn't just about pointing out then how often we're wrong. That's not even the point. It's more about understanding how our brains work, because then it helps us see why we believe what we believe. And Dr. Burton suggests that if we know about this, then we can be more open-minded and humble, and meaning that then we might start questioning our own beliefs a bit more and understand other people's points of view better, because that is part of what helps you become more emotionally mature. And I do, I used to joke and say it comes with a free existential crisis, Because I think if you are going to end up picking it up, some people might find it a little bit unsettling to think that our confidence and our beliefs might not always be based on facts. And the book doesn't really go into a whole lot of, well, what do I do now? Because I think it's more of, check that out. That's the thing. But it, it is still really fascinating, especially if you are into knowing how your mind works or thinking about why we believe the things that we do. So in essence, it kind of makes you think about thinking. But really, the big takeaway is now if we put all these things together that we are going to start just doing and being, and it's pretty normal and natural to worry and wonder what other people are thinking, but we can still just take a look at that, check that out. And then we go from this place of that was a survival skill to eventually now it becomes something that is just something that guides us on our way to becoming us. What have we learned today? Again, someday I will find the music that will go along with this, the very, very beautiful music. And we learned that, uh, it's all about embracing the beauty of being okay. And, and then we dove into this idea that it's absolutely fine to find fulfillment in the everyday life rather than feeling like I better be special. I got to chase these extraordinary achievements because it, it, now will we achieve things that are extraordinary? Absolutely. Even in the process of just being and doing. But if that is the goal only or the chase, then that can be really unfulfilling. And so then we talked a little bit about how overconfidence can trick us into thinking that we do control everything and how adorable is that, but really how unpredictable life is and can be, I promise with a little practice, it can be pretty liberating. But I think that overall, this is just a reminder that the journey is about being true to yourself, finding joy in the journey itself and and in the ordinary 
and it can lead to a genuinely fulfilling life where I actually believe that that, and this isn't the reason why, it isn't acceptance so that then I will do miraculous things, but acceptance comes with miraculous things once you really figure out who you are and you just start being and doing. All right, if you have thoughts, questions, anything, I would love you to send them my way. And I appreciate the support as always. And I will see you next week on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost Are floating past the midnight hour They push aside